Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast exists because of the paid members at decodingtv.com. Sign up at decodingtv.com and get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, and bonus episodes we'll record just for you. Thanks to everyone at decodingtv.com that makes this show possible. What's an Imperial lieutenant doing getting involved with this? What difference does it make? Everyone else seems to know. He fell in love with a local woman, lost a promotion. Then he lost the woman. Then he lost his taste for the Empire. Everyone has their own rebellion. Our own rebellion? Hosting a weekly podcast about the Disney Plus original series Andor. Hello, everyone. I'm David Chen. And I'm Patrick Willems. Welcome to Decoding TV. On this week's episode of Decoding TV, we're going to be covering Season 1, Episode 5 of Andor, streaming right now on Disney Plus entitled The Axe Forgets. This episode was directed by Susanna White, written by Dan Gilroy. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Uh, email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us also on YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter at Decoding TV. Uh, we will, during the course of this Decoding TV episode, spoil everything about Season 1, Episode 5. We won't spoil anything from future weeks. That includes anything on next time on previews or anything else of that nature. But before we get into this week's episode, Patrick, yes, David. Uh, let's talk about some of the feedback and responses we received to last week's episode of our Andor discussion. Uh, I'm uh, assuming that everyone loved it and thought it was an amazing episode and that <laughs> we are the best podcasters around. Uh, I mean, not only the best, the only Andor slash Star Wars podcast that exists currently, you know, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> Uh, on occasion, we do make mistakes on this podcast slash YouTube show, and uh, we, we are sorry about it. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we don't elaborate as much as we should. Uh, here are some elaborations slash clarifications slash corrections from last week. First of all, I got a bunch of messages from folks saying, hey, David Chen, don't feel too bad. It was actually pronounced Coruscant until episode one when George Lucas changed it for Phantom Menace. So... I don't know if you're aware of that, Patrick, but it was Coruscant in like pre, you know, 1990s or so time period. As in before anyone ever said it out loud. <laughs> I think so, there might have been some audiobooks or something like that that, you know, that may have used it. But yes. Well, David, if you get a time machine and travel back 24 years, you you will be totally correct. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Uh, biting. Okay. Anyway, uh, thank you for that, Patrick. Uh, but anyway, thanks for all the, the kind notes from people saying I wasn't completely always wrong for all of time to say Chris got that way. Uh, we got a comment on YouTube from, and I apologize if I'm pronouncing this incorrectly, uh, the Makole Mbembe on YouTube, uh, who typically chimes in every week with some really great kind of lore corrections uh, and information for us. So, uh, 
this person writes, if I recall correctly, and this is referring to Mon Mothma's career in the Senate, okay? A thing so, I was, like, frantically trying to research during the episode. Yes, yes. Uh, the Mkole Mbembe writes, If I recall correctly, Mon Mothma quits the Senate and officially joins the Rebel Alliance in Rebels. Uh, though, given that that show and this one will probably overlap in time, we may see it later in Andor as well. The event that makes her decide to do this is called the Gorman Massacre. Like so much of the lore in this era and show, that event, or at least its basic concept, goes all the way back to the old tabletop role-playing game. In that version of the story... Uh, and I, I guess I should point out before I proceed reading that you might consider this a spoiler if you don't want to know, because this might happen later in Andor, so heads up. But in that version of the story, the people of the planet Gorman took over and occupied Imperial landing zones to stage protests against the government. In response, Governor Tarkin landed his ship on the protesters, killing a ton of people. What's interesting about this in the context of Andor is that Mon Mothma specifically mentions Gorman and how it's being f***ed over by the Empire in the argument with her husbands. Shades of things to come, perhaps, end quote. So, uh, David, I thought there was no profanity on this podcast. It's, uh, I shouldn't have, I, you know, I'm going to go bleep that out, Patrick. All right. Good, good call. But uh, anyway, so yeah, it's interesting that Mon Mothma might be affected by this event that may take place in the future of Andor. And I'm really curious uh, if Andor is going to depict it differently than it's been depicted in the past. You know, because, yeah. Yeah. Have, David, have you watched Rebels? I have not. Neither have I. I have, uh, in terms of the Star Wars animated stuff, which is, uh, there's so much of it now that that's where a lot of, like, a, a lot of lore comes from the animated shows. I have watched, I think, maybe three or four seasons of The Clone Wars. At some point, I will get back to it and watch, like, the second half of the show. Uh, and I haven't watched any of Rebels. I think I will at some point, but, uh, you know, there's... There's a lot of television, and mm-hmm. so 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 th- those are always like kind of blind spots for me when it comes to be, to like okay this this time period stuff that that you know was added to canon from from the animated shows uh, I'm always like trying to to catch up and fill in those blanks because I'm not an expert. Got a bunch of comments on YouTube, and also somebody named Holton DM'd me on Instagram. Uh, and said, quote, you talked about Andor saying he was in prison when what he was talking about was Mimban, the same mud planet from Solo. Uh, when he was talking about fighting themselves, he was talking about how soon after the Republic helped the Mimbanese free their planet, the Republic became the Empire and tried to take over, hence fighting their previous allies, end quote. So just wanted to clarify, last week, Andor mentioned he was a Mimban fighting. We saw fighting on Mimban in Solo Star Wars Story, some actually really effective sequences uh, in that movie, that's that's where Han Solo met Chewie. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, so. and uh, and I, I will say I had no idea what that planet was called until right now. All right, well there you go. So uh, I think we had we had uh, we had trouble uh, hearing and making out some of the names in last week's episode, but that shouldn't be a problem for future weeks. I'm just going to put that out there. So yes, uh, okay. So thank you all for your corrections. Keep them coming in to decodingtv at gmail.com uh, or, you know, Twitter. We're, we're online all the time. So uh, we appreciate accuracy and precision, and we don't want to make any mistakes when it comes to Star Wars lore. Uh, but we will occasionally make mistakes, and we appreciate your patience uh, with us in that. So, David, you know one of the things I like about this show? What is it, Patrick? It's that on this show, I am technically the Star Wars expert, despite not being a, a, a real Star Wars expert. That's a, that's a thing that like people are really experts in, and I'm not that. 
And so mm-hmm. sometimes I get to feel like the expert. And then there are times like this where I'm like, I, I don't know anything about that at all. Mm-hmm. That's your that's your favorite thing about the show, Patrick. <laughs> I said, I, didn't I, I think I said one of uh-huh. my favorite okay. things about all the right, show. Right. There, David, there, my favorite thing about the show is the is the is the the opportunity to have structured time to hang out with you every mm. week for uh, a couple months and then it ends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Patrick H. Williams, let's dive into season one, episode five of Andor. Uh, the Axe Forgets uh, let's is do the it. name of the episode. Let's start by talking about overall thoughts on the episode. What do you think of this episode overall? I really liked this episode while being aware that it's all i i can okay when we were talking last week we Mm -hmm. were like well we assume that next episode we're gonna have the heist and we're gonna have mon mothma's dinner party and Mm -hmm. we didn't get either of those things (laughs) and yet and yet i didn't really mind because as i was watching this episode and as it was going on and when we're about halfway through i'm realizing yeah, the heist isn't going to happen. It's not going to be like a 10-minute sequence. And I really kind of realized, like, of course, if these are three-episode arcs, the heist is like the climactic episode. And this is all build-up to the heist, all character developments to make us more invested in everything going into it. And uh, this all this all felt pretty vital to me. And, and in so much of it, I, I kept, like... The work that this show is doing to really reframe how we think of the rebellion in in Star Wars and put like actual human faces on it uh, and really like understand like the ideology behind the people who signed up for this. Um, it's really working for me. Uh, I'm I'm very invested in every storyline that's happening with all like, like I it's been said time and time again. Uh, it was said at about Rogue One, and I think it kind of applies there, but I think it really applies here of just how genuinely exciting it is to see a thing we're very familiar with from a very new perspective with a totally different vibe. And um, I really like everything the show is doing. And um, I gotta say, I was uh, I was a big fan of this episode, despite no dinner party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the biggest uh, downside for you. Uh, I like this episode a lot as well. I, I here's my experience watching it is I'm like 20 to 30 minutes into it. I'm like, oh no, like there, there's not enough time to do a full heist at the end. Of, like uh, as I'm watching it, I'm like waiting for the heist, waiting for the heist, and it's like there's not going to be enough time at the end of the like this episode for the heist. So we did not get the heist this episode, unfortunately. Uh, all the stuff that took place on Aldani w- w- is basically designed to develop these characters more. We're introduced to them rapid fire last episode. Like, here's Steen, Tamarin, you know, Sinta, like all these people. And it's like, okay, am I am I even going to get to know these people? And the answer to that question is yes in this episode, right? You get to really learn a lot about several of these characters in the episode. And that's great. Love the character development. And, and having watched it, I'm like, oh, I'm really glad that we got to... Uh, get to know about these characters before we went into the heist. Now it means a lot more, you know, that, that we know all this information about these characters. By the way, one other thing I want to point out about the Aldani heist crew is something I've really gotten to appreciate as I've gotten on in years is uh, 
casting people that look different to be different people in 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 the show. And what I mean by that is like every one of the characters uh, in the high screw has a pretty distinctly different look. Oh, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like they're they're all these different shapes and sizes and genders and colors, basically. And there's really no mixing up anybody. Yeah, it really helps you to distinguish who is who, and that's like not something people might think about when they're you're casting. Is like we need to make everyone look extremely different so they're distinguishable. But another um, show that recently did it recently uh, that did it the same thing recently, although not to the same degree, is um, there's a Netflix uh, television series uh, called All of Us Are Dead. I don't know if you saw this. It's a Korean uh, zombie I horror. I, I, I heard about it. It's awesome. You should people listening should totally watch it. But I, actually, it, David, I, I just remembered I heard about it because of you talking about yes. it. Yes, <laughs> it's a Korean zombie horror show that's on Netflix. It's amazing. Uh, would highly recommend. But basically, you're following this crew of students uh, as they try to survive a zombie apocalypse, and every one of the students has like a distinctly different look, like. One has glasses and one's wearing a skirt and one's has a, you know, wearing a sweater or like whatever. And it's just basically like, it's so helpful to like help you like under, like just visually demarcate who is who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm sure the youngins in the audience are like, I don't have, I don't have any need of that. I can memorize everything. I'm like, I'm getting old. Okay. I need as much help as I can get when it comes to understanding my TV right. shows. So. I mean, honestly, I'm, uh, this is going to be a really obvious one, but it, it kind of reminds me of the bear on Hulu, mm-hmm. uh, partly because they share a cast member, uh, Eben Moss Bacharach, who plays yeah, who, who basically here. is playing the same character in this movie, in this show, I should say. <laughs> exactly. I, yeah. I, I, I mean, I kept just waiting for him to like, uh, like call Nemec cousin at some point, <laughs> like just because. Yeah. But yeah, it's a uh, like same kind of thing on that show, which is like a bunch of people packed together in like close quarters. It really helps even before you like learn everyone's names, just being like, oh, right. Everyone is a very distinct type. Everyone yeah. like looks different. It like, uh, like has a, a distinct personality. Like it's a, uh, it's like TV is full of, of, of shows that are just full of like vaguely similar looking white people. <laughs> And so yes. it's helpful, especially because yes. after after episode six, we might not see these characters anymore. It's mm-hmm. totally possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I would say all the non-heist stuff in this episode was o- only okay. You know, like, there's some nice moments in it, um, but it's it feels like we're just kind of checking in with all these characters uh, before some of their storylines really take off. The focus of season one, episode five was really the heist. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a, it's a really good heist setup episode. I would say I thought we were getting the heist setup last episode. That was just a taste of the heist setup. This is the real yeah. heist setup, right? I mean, when you get to the, I apologize to like vaguely skip ahead, but like, you know, when like when we see them burning the like the models yeah. of of like that they used to plan the heist, that's when I'm like, oh man, this this is serious. This is like <laughs> there there there's no going back. Like just mm-hmm. just the visual of like of of burning down the miniature version of the place that they are going to rob. Yeah, and just I mean, yeah, like there's uh. All the like. Also, we saw a bunch of stuff with uh with Lieutenant Gorn at the garrison. Yeah. In this episode, and um and that and, and just like seeing like how things are run there, we actually saw in this episode the payroll that they are going to steal, mm, like yes. inside a vault. Yes. And uh, it really like this was 
as much as this was almost all just like people having conversations, like not even always. Although, the, the, okay, I will say there was the, uh, there was Skeen putting a knife to Cassian's throat. Uh, there was, the people did have hands on blasters, but like, it was a, a pretty conflict light episode. Uh, most of people talking, but like, I am so anxious about what's going to happen in the next episode now yes. because of everything that happened here. The wait until next episode is going to be a, a challenging one for sure. So it is. And well, I, I will say I did. I mean, do we want to get into the stuff off of Aldani? Yeah, let's the let's other storylines. We're going to start by talking about all the plot lines that are not Eldani, and then we'll get to Eldani. All right, so let's Starting start with Ev- with David's favorite character, <laughs> the character that 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 David thinks is really misunderstood, mm-hmm. and uh, that we should all really like be supporting and feeling for because he's going through a rough time. Hashtag Team Karn. Um, we start on Coruscant uh, with Cyril Karn. He's at home. His mom is treating him like a kid. He's eating Cheerio or uh, the the space Star cereal. Wars, is space, space cereal uh, looks like crunch berries, to be honest with you. Um, it Captain does. Crunch, kind of. Yeah. With the blue, with yeah. The blue Oop, milk, you know. Oops, so. all space berries. Yeah. Wait, uh, David, by the way, a thing, I don't think we mentioned this in the previous ep- episode, that Catherine Hunter, who plays Edie Karn, Karn's mom, mm-hmm. is uh, the witches from Joel Cohen's Macbeth. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, first of all, the witches... That the the way the witches are conceived in uh, that version of Macbeth is incredible, right? Like mm-hmm. it's just one of the highlights of the movie. Too, you should watch that version of the tragedy of Macbeth just to see the witches, and that's the same actor, right? Yeah, and it was a thing where obviously she's been she's had it seems like she's had a long illustrious career in like the London theater scene. Mm-hmm. I don't. I probably she's probably been in like movies or TV before I've probably seen her somewhere. I was not, I did not know her name until the tragedy of Macbeth, where she kind of steals the movie playing all three witches. And, uh, and yeah, I, I did not realize until I was like, we were putting together our list of the cast in our, like, you know, our show notes and everything. Uh, and I was like, looking her up on IMDb and I was like, Oh wait, that's how I know that name, Catherine Hunter. So, uh, they, I mean, this show has a very good cast. I mean, she she has so much range. Uh, the, the, so the actor's name is is what again? Um, Catherine Hunter, right? Yes. And she was in the tragedy of Macbeth and tragedy of Macbeth and Andor. In one of those things, she intones ominous predictions about the future to a tortured soul. And the other one is the tragedy of Macbeth. <laughs> okay. Wait, boom wait, goes it, the dynamite. I, I was about um, to say that was a boom goes the dynamite, right? Thank you. Thank you that was a, cl- a classic Dave Chen. Yes, yes, love it. Okay. Anyway, yes, uh, she is not too happy about where Karn has landed. He never was supposed to go into police work anyway, and they're going to get their uncle Harlow to maybe help give him a job. So that's basically what the Karn storyline amounts to this episode. And then Karn. You see kind of Karn in his childhood bedroom looking at this hologram of Andor just hating on him. He also, um, you, out of focus in the background in his bedroom, he has what look like action figures. Uh-huh. It's, uh-huh. I mean, the, I, love, I love the Karn storyline. We only see a little bit of it in this episode. But just, I mean, he is experiencing like the, the, the classic thing of, oh, 
uh, you you lose your job and then have to move back in with your parents and then hope that maybe your uncle can like hook you can up, help yeah. you get a new job and you have to like start a new career. It is, I mean, he he might as well just be like, I don't know, any millennial who gets like. <laughs> laid off any uh, millennial who happens to have done something at their job that led to the death of five people you know look um, we've all been there we've all been there we've all been there so anyway uh what else happens yeah, well, I, I will say as my, I, i'm i'm com- i'm gonna pop up on like every episode just being like let me talk about how much i love uh the production design and stuff like that also a thing that I, i've just been learning as i've been like reading like every interview with like tony gilroy and stuff like this i i his episode of wtf with mark Marin just came out like a day or two ago and that's nice there, there isn't a lot of talk yeah not a lot of talk about andor but it's a really good episode and just like his life is very interesting yes but yes. um Apparently, like, he was very set on hiring a lot of crew people who were not, like, Star Wars veterans. Mm. Uh, Like, it's interesting. The, uh, like, I believe all the other Star Wars shows, their production designer is Doug Chang, who is, like, a a decades-long, like, storied uh, Lucasfilm guy. He's been designing Star Wars stuff, like... I think since, like, maybe... Since at least the prequel era. Um, And then for this show... Gilroy was like, no, I don't I don't want any of the regular people. I want to get the production designer. And I think they also had the producer from uh Chernobyl. Uh and uh and so yeah, new production designer who is has not worked on Star Wars before. Um and I like the the look of the Karn family's apartment where they have like they eat breakfast at like this booth inside. Like it's almost like a yeah. diner booth, like yeah, inside yeah, yeah. the apartment. It's it it looks so cool. Um, and I I know I talked about uh like the costume design last week, but I just like I was very struck by just like the interior of the apartment. It looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no disagreement. All right, what else happens this episode that's not the Aldani storyline? We get some croissant scenes with Mon Mothma. There's uh, an important we- thing that I uh that happened for Star Wars canon here. And what is that? So we learned that Mon Mothma has a daughter. Yes. Uh, who shows up in this episode. Named we have Lita, I believe. Lita. Right? And uh, this is, you know, as much as I, I was bummed out, we first see her, it seems like, at breakfast to the morning after the dinner party that I, I wanted to see so bad. <laughs> uh, and her daughter comes in, and uh, her daughter, who's like a teenage, not a teenager, and, and it's... Obviously, things were a little frosty between Mon Mothma and Perrin, her husband, in the last episode. And now it really seems like Perrin has kind of got their daughter Lita, like, on his side. And, like, Mon Mothma, the interesting thing is, like, you know, she's going to be this big legendary rebel leader and and yet, like, can't even, like, lead her family. Like, her... (laughs) her daughter and husband seem to be just be, like, against her and do not like her very much. Um, but the the canonical thing is that so Lita apparently I'm checking the notes that I wrote down. Uh, uh, so Lita was actually intro. Oh, so David, just are you familiar with the difference between Star Wars Legends and canon? No, please uh, illustrate or illuminate. Okay. I should say. So for many years, uh, for decades, uh, there was what is known as the Star Wars Expanded Universe, yes. which were all of the books or like novels and comic books and video games 
that were outside of just the core movies that George Lucas wrote and or directed. Uh, and they there were many, many storylines. They went on like way past the end of Return of the Jedi. Uh, they built out that like, and uh, as everyone- I actually, I actually read a bunch of these books when I was a kid. Um, like Timothy Zahn's books basically, right? Exactly, uh, Admiral Thrawn, like all that stuff. Yeah, so that that's and, Star Wars Legends. Technically, that is right? that is Legends, and the thing is, this was all canonical in Star Wars lore for yes. a very long time. And um, and despite the fact that anyone who knows anything about uh, the expanded universe is aware that um, some of it was stupid, uh, like uh, like Chewie eventually dies because a moon falls on him. Um, there was like some sort of like evil Luke twin named Luke with two U's, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. Anyway, when Disney acquired Lucasfilm and started production on the sequel trilogy, they announced that all the expanded universe was being struck from canon, uh, and and was now considered legends, as in those are. Star Wars stories, but they are not part of the core canon mm-hmm. that is um, being continued by all this new material, which does make sense because since there were already many, many, many books about what happens after Return of the Jedi, that they weren't just going to adapt into the sequel right. trilogy. It would conflict. And well, so well, clearly they had an intricate plan for episodes seven through nine. So like you would never want to interfere with that intricate plan, right? Of so. course. Of course. God forbid. Uh, uh <laughs> Hashtag where is Luke with two use? Um, and so, so anyway, the thing is, uh, Lita, uh, Mon Mothma's daughter, was actually it was first mentioned in I believe 1993 that she had a daughter, and then her daughter was named was given the name Lita in 2002. Uh, and also, Lita had a brother apparently, and and so the. And then what happened? But this is the first time. But obviously, that stuff was stricken from canon. It is legends; does not count. This, to my knowledge, until someone in the comments section yes. points out that I'm wrong, uh, is the first mention of Lita in the new canon of mm. Star Wars. And but there's no brother here, and so this is one of these examples, kind of like Grand Admiral Thrawn, where they are things that were originally introduced in Legends, in stuff that is no longer canon. Where the the people making the new Star Wars stories decide, you know what, that was a good idea. Let's pluck that and now make it canon with mm-hmm. you know some adjustments, such as no brother this time. But so this is this is big. Mon Mothma's daughter appearing for the first time, unless I'm wrong, or one and of the just, first times, or one of the first times for, for the first time in in the new canon. And uh, and and that's kind of you know most of the stuff that we get there with the moth. Can I point out something that I think is funny? Yes. I have never heard anyone refer to Mon Mothma by her first name and not her full it, it, her yeah. her full name. Calling her just Mon just sounds <laughs> funny. Uh huh. Uh huh. Like, hey, what's up, Mon? Do people say? I, I, I hope someone says that to her. Uh huh. <laughs> during the season, I, and, did, uh, I never. I didn't know. I would. I. I never assumed that Mon was the name. I. I assumed that Mon might have been, um, like a, a prefix or a. You know, like in in Game of Thrones, they call people like Sir Sir Loras or Sir Sir Jorah, right? And, and like Sir right. is like S E R is like. So maybe it's like Mon Mothma. But anyway, 
Uh, I think you're probably right that Mon Mothma is her actual name. <laughs> I mean, uh, Lita Mothma yeah. is uh, is apparently her name. And yeah. so I guess... I, I guess, guess it is Mon, Mon, yeah. Yeah, which just sounds funny because if anyone says, like, hello, Mon, it sounds like they're doing, like, a cartoonish Jamaican accent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, um, yeah. So we should so, stay away from that. But, okay, yeah. back, to the, back to the scene. There's a couple things I want to point out about it, okay? One is that... There's an interesting moment when Perrin says, hey, the driver's here. And she says, you know his name. His name is Chloris. And I thought, huh, what an interesting moment. Because first of all, last episode, she was just saying that they're replacing all her people, including yeah. the driver, it sounded like. Um, so it was. A, it felt like she was trying to give this guy some more humanity. But I'm like, didn't you just maybe say he was a spy last episode? That was a, conf- a little confusing. But I think, I think the arc of what we see in this episode is that Mon Mothma is thinking about the little guy, basically. You know, she's like, I have this charity. You didn't even know about it. You know, like she's she's thinking about the little guy and her husband is really disconnected from that. As mm-hmm. you point out, she has a weird relationship with her family. Um, she's supposed to, like, drive her daughter to this thing. And her daughter's like, don't worry about it. You don't need to do this just to make appearances. Like, it doesn't make sense. And, like, it's clear that her husband and her daughter are kind of, al- uh, you know, aligned. I mean, I think we see when when. Mon Mothma and her daughter are are arguing. We can see Perrin kind of like smirking there, kind of like amused and like happy that like his daughter is clearly on his side in the matter. Yeah. And I think what's interesting, you you, you point this out, and this is something I've had experience with in the corporate world, right? I have dealt with many um I have been in the presence of many high-powered executives during my time in, in the corporate world. And What's always fascinating to me is the dynamic where you have these people who have been at this company for years, decades even, and they have a long and storied career and they've launched products that people, everyone has used, you know, people you know have used. And, and then they have a home life where they have a baby or a kid and they can't get their baby or kid to like, you know, eat their vegetables. Right. right. And it's just like, it's just this kind of duality that work forces upon you is at work, you command armies of people to do, sometimes literally armies in the case of the show, and at home, it does none of that matters. None of that matters. Um, mm-hmm. All that matters is what your dynamic and your relationship is between these people. Uh, and I do th- like that that's illustrated. Like, oh, Mothma, she, she commanded rebel armies in the future, but also her, her daughter doesn't respect her. And it's like, you know, that's like a, it's a very somewhat conventional plot in movies and tv shows but i do think it's interesting to see a character who has basically just been a figurehead legend in the past uh, of star wars now we're getting so much more detail about her life so yes uh there is a scene where she's in the car with chloris and uh again they're talking about uh, she's in the car with perrin and chloris and they're talking about this foundation that she wanted to make and it's a charity and chloris says hey I'm sorry. Uh, Parent says, "Hey, Chloris, would you mind taking the expressway?" And I was like, "Oh, we also have ex- uh, we have like a a payoff to that earlier moment about the driver's name, where he right. asks uh, Mon yes. uh, what the driver's name is, so that he. But he's making a bit of an effort there. Yes. He's like, oh, totally, totally. yeah, he's not, like this guy is not a total jerk. I I like the idea that uh, there. Like he says, let's take the expressway. I'm like, wow, the the concept of an expressway is so ingrained into humanoid thinking and societies that even a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, they had 
traffic and expressways that they did, had to deal with. I looked this up. There have apparently been other expressways in the past in Star Wars. There was this thing called the Lower Lower Ring Expressway, which is a thoroughfare in Bespin's Cloud City that is on Wikipedia um, or on StarWars.Fandom.com. So anyway, there there have been other. Uh, there's also the Tokyo Expressway battle i think tokyo? uh in, in star well okay yeah that doesn't make any sense okay is it or is it tokyo is spelled like t-o-k-i-o mm, i don't you know just ignore what i just said about that thing P- point being this is not the first time the concept of the expressway has ever been floated in star wars canon um but i do think it's kind of funny that even in star wars they have expressways so i i mean, I mean it's, it's it's the funny thing with star wars uh where there's always the question of like how much regular like our world terminology yeah. do they have and then when do they make up new stuff where it's like i i thought about it in this episode when they still have like left-handed and right-handed yeah, uh, yeah. When they're talking about that and yeah. uh and it's like oh they have that concept in star wars I, I think that's the first time that's been referred to in star wars universe right so well again we say that but there's so many books and and mm. cartoons and stuff yes, like that where they've that probably would... referenced that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. so, so yeah, uh, we are. I, I, I'm not going to definitively say that. I'll say it's the first time we've encountered that in Star yes. Wars. We, we on this podcast have encountered that. And, yes. Yeah, and that's it's it, it's just it's just interesting. It's not it's not a criticism. It's not a nitpick. It's just like oh, it's interesting to observe like how many elements they borrow from our real world. So. Uh, the other thing that happens in this episode, there's a couple of ep- things dealing with Imperial security. So there's a scene on Ferrix. Hey, we're back at Ferrix. Patrick, you predicted correctly. They didn't build that whole set just for the first three episodes. Um, yes, but I, uh, still no sign of Bix. Yeah, no Bix. Are... No Bix. No, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Fiona Shaw. Uh, Fiona Shaw. Yeah, no Fiona Shaw's character. Um, so uh, who is Cassian's? mom basically adopted mom right so yeah um, slash kind of kidnapper yes correct uh marva marva is the character's name That's so it. uh but basically what, what's happening on uh ferrix is blevins is there overseeing the cleanup oh also cause... uh w- one thing uh that I, I only confirmed this morning uh apparently it's only blevin there's no s on the end oh i think we both we both thought last episode that there was there was blevins but maybe Dang. maybe they, maybe they said it but meant like blevin well, apostrophe yes it, it's blevins in wikipedia is it yeah although but it's blevin on. on imdb yeah it, it, it's actually it's actually no you're right it's it's blevin on wikipedia it's, there's actually a separate blevins entry in wikipedia um Oh so my there's God. Blevins, a male captain of the Galactic Empire who fought and died in, in the uh, on the moon of Endor. And then, that's, the, that's the one that I thought he a was. Separate, yeah, that's who you thought it was. But then there's Blevin, separate entry. So maybe Wikipedia is forking the Blevin thing and, you know, assuming that they're two separate people. Interesting. And, mm-hmm. that, and, and because I would think... I could have be- sworn I heard them say Blevins in the actual show, though. But anyway. Yeah, um, because... Uh, be- uh, David, you're familiar with uh the the Lucasfilm Story Group, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the you know the group of people who basically like work with all the Star Wars productions just to make sure everything like fits into canon and like the timeline is right and that kind of stuff. Um, I would assume that they wouldn't that like if let's say Tony Gilroy wrote I don't know the character's name is uh Blevin, uh <laughs> that, that they would not. 
they would yeah, probably... that somebody would say, hey, there's another character named Blevins. Let's like change the name so that it's not the same, right? Right. Uh, yeah. That seems like the kind of thing that they would not miss. Yeah. And so, yeah. especially if if the, the Blevins character who dies in the Battle of Andor was only created in the Aftermath novels like a few years back. And yeah. so I'm, I'm going to say my my guess here is that wikipedia has messed up and it is the same guy because he already is an imperial officer no but i think i think you're right that the character's name is blevin in the show though i, yeah. I think i'm i think i misheard it and it's actually blevin in the show so uh anyway no no, no uh, i did it too yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, we, we were on the same page yeah yeah we, we we both thought it was blevins and it was a it was a real mandela effect there okay blevin is on Ferex. He's over, uh, supervising the cleanup effort. He meets this guy named Captain Tygo. Tygo's kind of the guy who's going to take over. Ka- Ka- Tygo's going to be the new Karn, except he's going to live amongst the people. He's like, here's your quarters. What do you think of it? And he's like, this is fine, but can I be a prefect? And prefect is kind of like a, a term of, I guess, prestige. You know, you're kind of running the town, I guess. Later on in the episode, we learn that prefix have done lots of terrible things that have caused people to be radicalized and join the rebellion. But for now, Tygo wants to be a prefect. And I, I like this idea of, Hey, it's these kind of career hungry ladder climbers that are all like, it's all ladder climbers throughout this entire organization. Um, and obviously when that meets supervising a group of people that don't like you, that can often have terrible results that we might see again on Ferrex. You know, it's already been bad, but yeah. Yeah. The thing that I thought was interesting about this scene is that in one of our past episodes, we talked about the idea of like what are what planets are like occupied territories here, and I think we were saying that uh, that Ferrex before or um, the planets that uh, that the the pre uh, the preox uh, organization security organization like kind of like presided over weren't quite occupied territories uh like compared to like Jeddah in rogue one right but right. but looking at this scene on ferrix here uh i was like oh now it is an occupied territory right now right. like literally they're looking at a hotel and uh and Blevin is like, yeah, so uh, how about you take over this hotel? How about this is your new headquarters? They're just mm-hmm. like – they're basically just like a like colonizing army coming in here being like, well, okay, let's uh, – we live here now and run stuff and we can just use the existing buildings uh, to serve our purposes. Yeah. And uh, it seems like in the background it looks like are they are they like scrubbing graffiti off of buildings? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't I didn't pay that close attention to what was happening in the background, but yeah, it's I agree with your assessment of what is currently taking place. That this was Ferrex was kind of a a backwater that people didn't need to pay that much attention to, and now they're officially occupying it. I agree that that's yeah. kind of where where things are standing. Right and now, my so. my guess also is if we had this scene, we've probably not seen the last of Ferrex. Agreed, agreed. Why show them setting up shop here if we're never gonna? Return? I know it would make it would make no sense, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. It's not like a TV show has never done a weird random thing before, uh, as I learn all the time right now on Decoding TV. So, okay. Uh, only other thing is we get a brief scene with uh, at Coruscant, Coruscant Imperial Security uh, with Dedra and her underling. Like She sees Blevin in the hall with his underlings, and she's like, oh, I'm still really angry about what happened last week's episode. And so they're talking about 
trying to figure out this pattern and if there's a rebellion forming. And she says, uh, she names a bunch of events that have occurred, right? She talks and about these are like, all things on planets that are already canonical to Star Wars. Right. Um, uh, Hosnian Prime, Kessel, Jakku, and Fondor, right? So where, yes. where are these places from, Patrick Willems? Okay, Hosnian Prime uh, is, is a planet that I've always had a beef with. Uh, actually, well, Hosnian Prime is kind of like representative of a beef I've always had with The Force Awakens. Hosnian Prime, after the events of Return of the Jedi, after the Battle of Endor, become the Hosnian system, specifically Hosnian Prime, which is like the main, the prime planet in that system, uh, becomes the new capital of well, the capital of the new Galactic Republic. Uh, and there's the part in The Force Awakens when uh, Starkiller Base, to show off its power, um, destroys the Hosnian system. It blows up a string of planets, and they're all like, oh no, that's where the Republic is. The movie never shows us the Republic or anyone on Hosnian Prime, but it's a big deal that it, it gets destroyed. Um, so that's that. Well, I think we see like one shot of people on the planet, right? Yeah. We, Before we show, it gets destroyed. We, we see some extras whose names we do not know, who never speak, look up in fear. Uh, it's because if you speak, if they speak, you have to pay them, uh, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so. And so so there's that. Uh, that's Hosnian Prime. Uh, Kessel, you know. In in Solo, a Star Wars story, we we see how the Millennium Falcon makes the Kessel Run in twelve parsecs. It's the big heist uh, where where they're they're stealing. Um, oh my god! Um, you know the, you, you you've, you've got to keep it cold. Um, oh, uh, I I like how you literally didn't need to introduce this part of the of the explanation, and you just went right into it, Patrick. I I know it's um I sorry it's it 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 it's killing me. Um, what what is the thing that they are uh stealing? Um um oh my god, it's uh I coaxium coaxium yes. Coaxium. That's what they are stealing from Kessel, uh, where there's like a mining colony, and uh, and the thing about coaxium, as any, as, as as anyone who's ever uh, ridden the Millennium Falcon ride at uh, Galaxy's Edge knows, you got to keep it cold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very important. Anyway, I'm sorry uh, to go off on that tangent. Oh, and Jakku is where Ray is from. Yes. Uh, in in. The sequel trilogy. Oh, and, and Van- Fondor, Van- yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Fondor is uh, does not really show up in the movies, uh, to my knowledge, uh, but apparently it's in the game Battlefront Two, mm-hmm. and and was a big thing in like the Clone Wars. Yeah, gotcha. So events are happening at all these places, uh, and Dedra is trying to figure out if there's some kind of pattern, and she's like, if I was them, there I wouldn't have a pattern, and. I think what's interesting about this a little bit is that the, as far as we know, the Imperial Starpath unit was not part of some concerted effort, right? Like that was just something Andor did on his own rogue. He was not operating as part of a network of spies or anything like that. No, she is literally seeing patterns where none exist, at least when it comes to the Starpath unit. Um, But yeah, it's true. And, uh, and also we see Dedra uh, popping some pills. Hmm. So and, perhaps uh, that will come into play later. Yeah. Uh, but she, she's like, it's too random to be random, which is just like, 
or it could it could just be random you know possible but but again she is also someone who wants to get ahead and was shot down in the previous mm-hmm, episode yeah. while blevin she's is invested is, she's invested in like making right. there be something right yeah. Th- this is basically like her one thing she's like i can't let this go i need to prove that this is something uh to, to prove the also to prove blevin wrong and to like get a leg up on him I mean, this show is all just like, you know, just just ambitious people in in a bureaucracy. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Love it, love it. Okay. Uh, Those are all the non-Aldani storylines for this episode. Yes, Except for the final scene. Oh yeah, yeah. So I was going to get to that at the end because okay, yeah, we, we, uh, it'll it'll tie into that. So exactly, it, it's it's heavily related to Aldani. Yeah, indeed. Before we move on, uh, Patrick. If people are enjoying this dialogue, where can people find more of your work on the internet? David, you can find more of my work at youtube.com slash Patrick H. Willems, where I make increasingly long video essays uh, talking all about movies. Um, And you can follow me on uh, Twitter and and Instagram at Patrick H. Willems. All right. Uh, And we're really grateful uh, for Patrick joining us for each weekly recap of Andor. Uh, And I I always want to shout out, of course, uh, on Decoding TV, we're covering She-Hulk and Rings of Power, obviously. We're also finishing up our run of House of the Dragon over on a Cast of Kings podcast. And if you want to get ad-free episodes of all those podcasts, become a paid member at DecodingTV.com. Thanks to everyone who's doing that and helping support us. We would not be able to do this podcast without all the paid members at DecodingTV.com. So we really appreciate it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. All right, Patrick. Let's dive into the rest of the episode, the Aldani stuff. So, there's a lot of scenes in Aldani. I don't know that we need to cover every single one of these scenes, but maybe we we will. We got to cover everything. (laughs) We got to cover them waking up, drinking weird milk, walking to one place, walking to another place. Mm hmm. Uh, walking in formation. We got to cover every... Yeah, no, we don't. Uh, again, some one of the things I really appreciate about this episode is you, you really, other than maybe Cinta um, and Tamarin, you really get to spend like a lot of time with Steen, a little bit of time with Nemec this episode, and you get different flavors of 
what the rebellion is like. Steen is obviously in it because wait, he's wait. Based- it's Sorry? I thought it was Skeen with a like with a K. Um nope. Wait. Is uh hold on. Now now uh I am not sure. Maybe you're right. I I don't know why I've been messing up these character names so badly. Well, um, David, you do a lot of podcasting and have to keep the name straight of a million characters on a ton of shows. Except uh, for this one, apparently. <laughs> I I'm just saying, uh, like I yeah. don't like a, a bunch of the shows that I watch that I'm actually uh, behind on um, because I, I have. You're right. You're right. Pod- it's it's skiing. Jesus. I can't believe I got that wrong. Okay. Sorry. Again, <laughs> you have a lot of characters to remember. I, yeah. I mean, I, I believe on on this W2EF interview, I believe Tony Gilroy says, yeah, we have 197 speaking roles in this wow. season. So whew, that's a lot for us to keep track of. It, it, yeah. it's it's And that's the thing. They're introducing so many new characters, but they also give a lot of like nameless characters or background characters speaking lines. Like there's a corporal kinsey or something this episode that like you meet this guy there's a named role named kimsey we're probably never going to see that character again is my guess or maybe at most one other episode right so and also uh last episode we were talking about how we did not know the name of anton lesser's character yes uh he is now he does have a name on imdb uh he is major pardigas yes and uh i don't think anyone ever says that but not a hundred percent sure. It might have oh. been in the in the captions. But in any case, okay, you're yeah. right. It's Skeen, S K E E N. Apologies, I forgive you. Uh, thank you. Uh, and so, we, Skeen is kind of in it for uh, revenge, you know, because his, we learn later that it's because his brother has basically uh, offed himself because of actions of the Empire. But we also see, uh, what's his name? Um, Nemec? Nemec, who is like a true believer, a zealot. He wants to write a manifesto, and he has this cool Polaroid camera-looking thing. Basically, he's a hipster, is kind of my take on it. He is. He also sometimes, and I think this might mostly be to him being short, and the hat he was wearing gave me Mouse from the Matrix vibes. Mmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but yeah, he is just like, like he's literally talking about how his like, he's like writing a like written manifesto that's not ready yet but he's i mean he's also young and probably hasn't like gone through the like the personal like tragedies because of the empire that other people have so he's just like really idealistic and also seems like he probably studied politics maybe in college yeah yeah yeah, he's got like a poli sci degree totally totally yeah but uh he shows this uh basically like it's like someone showing a compass to someone who has an iphone it's like hey look we don't even need apple's technology to tell where we are we can just use um this compass that's made out of like a needle and a leaf in a bowl of water basically that's all you need to tell the direction you know uh i thought that was that was nice and you also get a sense of like who nemec is like nemec is a true believer right he is he believes in it to his core He's basically the opposite of Andor, you know, Andor mm-hmm. who's basically doing just this just for money, right? As so. he does tell them in this episode. Mm-hmm. He does. Um, also, uh, one thing that they seem to indicate is that, and of course I'm checking my list of everyone's names, uh, it seems that, that I don't know how serious this is, but it seems that Cinta uh, uh, has shacked up with uh, Vel. Oh. They are, they, they are as... as uh, 
as Skeen says, sharing a blanket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, like she's taken. Don't you know? Uh, you're barking up the wrong tree if you try to uh, get with Sinta. So exactly. But Sinta is described as stone cold and fearless, the toughest one here. So. Uh, we don't really get to spend that much time with Sinta. This, I, and I don't know if we will in this show, unfortunately. But we do get a lot of nice character development with Skeen and with, uh, and with Nemec this episode. And that's nice. So, Yeah. I mean, I, th- one of the arcs of the episode is Skeen and Andor's, like, uh, kind of difficult relationship where – because, like, at, at the beginning, uh, Andor wakes up and sees that, like, oh, his, like – his weapons and stuff are gone and then sees that, you know, Skeen is like, uh, Vel had asked him to like check them all, just like look at his stuff. He's there. He's there shirtless. He's got some tattoos. Uh, they have a talk about the tattoos then. And it's an ongoing thing of like Skeen, not trusting and, or I I mean, I don't, I probably shouldn't breeze through this entire thing because we have important scenes. You can, you can, you can breeze through, you can breeze through. It's cool. It's cool. But, but we have, uh, you know, Skeen notices that, uh, that Andor has the, the kyber crystal, uh, on the, on the, on the, on the rope around his neck, uh, the one that Luthen gave him as like an investment. Um, and then, and, and, and at one point puts a knife to his throat and like pulls it off of him. Uh, and is like, why does this guy have this like really valuable treasure? Like, like, like this doesn't seem right. No one would bring this on yeah, this. It would be mission. a weird thing. Cause they've been living in huts, you know, eating dirt, you know, for the last five months. And so why, why would this guy, it, it, it would be like a really, um, you would think something is very suspicious about that person, right? If exactly. They had, Basically, the equivalent of tens of thousands of dollars that they're carrying with them, right? Right. And one thing I really liked here is that uh, Andor, after he kind of like takes a moment to like make his decision, but he just is like, "I screw it, I'm just gonna tell them what the deal is," because this like, I like he's aware that he seems kind of sketchy, uh, and it's it's like let it's probably better to just like be honest with them than to have them like kind of like distrusting me for a while. So he's like, look. I'm getting paid to be here. That's why I showed up. That's why I have this thing. Uh, sorry, I'm not like a diehard believer like the rest of you. I am in this for the money. Uh, that's you know that's why Vel didn't tell you because I was dropped on her like a day ago. That's the situation. And yeah. um, and you know, the, here's pro- the this move. is the only thing about the episode that didn't ring quite quite true to me was. He gives a speech about, hey, like, if you're looking for excuses to not do it, like, that's cool. But, like, I'm I'm solid. That's kind of what he's trying to say. Right. That didn't really ring true. To, I didn't feel like Skeen is looking for excuses to not do the heist. You know, every he's like, everyone's nervous. It's okay to be nervous, but, like, don't put it on me. Like, but they're just rightfully suspicious of him, in my opinion. There's no, it didn't come off to me as Skeen is trying to come up with excuses to not do it. You know what I mean? Like that was the only part that was a little bit weird to me, you know. I th- I, I honestly forgot. I think I might have missed that line. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, he's like uh, everyone's nervous. It's always nervous the most before, like the day before the heist, basically. And so, right. yeah. I uh, yeah, that's uh, I forgot. Right, I don't. Skeen seems pretty all in on this. I I I wasn't exactly, doubting. Exactly. So that was a little weird. That was a little weird. Um, here's what is cool. What was a nice touch about the episode is throughout the episode, you kind of. You know, Andor is not someone we've really learned that much about this mm-hmm. season so far, but we start learning that he is actually like really competent, right? Um, so 
earlier on there's a scene where Vel's like, hey, do you know how to fly this ship? And he's like, wait, you don't know how to fly it? And and he seems to have know like the schematic of how the ship is laid out and everything like that. Um, stuff that's not in the manual. And so that's a pretty cool moment. Then later on, he's able to identify which hand people are using as their dominant ones and how to like march in a way that's convincing. Uh, I, I, I like all that I, stuff. because I, I, I really you, like that scene, yeah. Yeah, you want... Andor to feel like you want it to feel like like Andor is like contributing a lot to this group um, because we don't know that much about Andor yet. And, and but one of the things that we do know uh, is that he becomes a captain later, you know, part of the Rebel Alliance. And so like um, and clearly he has some skill here and is a valuable member of the, like there's a reason you, you want there to be a reason why they would want to keep him and not just be suspicious of him. Right. And I think this episode gives you that. So, and, yeah. and, and what seems like really a recurring thing is that he's, especially with uh, the part where he makes the, the suggestion they're, they're, uh, they're like rehearsing their walking in formation. Clearly they will be disguised as Imperial officers. And, um, and he points out that, you know, cause if they end up needing to like, be in a shootout they should like adjust their formation based on having like the blasters on like their outside hand and like one guy it's like oh he should swap sides because he's left-handed and 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 they ask everyone they're they're like wait have you like clocked which what which hand is everyone's preferred hand and like that and then the scene in episode three with luthan where he's talking about how he's able to get into uh these like you know these imperial ships and like sneak in and they're overconfident like the cassian's big skill seems to just be be able to like read people really really quickly and like like study them like uh, like understand like how to how to how to approach them uh you know how to just like their like physical characteristics it's not quite like a like a crazy Sherlock Holmes thing being like, Oh, I see a piece of lint on your, on your shirt <laughs> collar. That must yes. mean like, the, here's like the that past five years of your life. That must mean you ate SpaghettiOs five days ago in Spain, you know, like. Right. Because you were like sad that. because you recently <laughs> broke up with your girlfriend. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like it's not that kind of stuff, but like you can see how he, he definitely like, you know, he has a very particular set of skills and, uh, and how he's, it's nice that, he is genuinely useful on this job. He is yeah. actually contributing something and really is, especially after the part where he's like, wait, you guys don't know how to fly this ship properly. It's really making me think, man, if he wasn't there, yeah, uh, this might this might be a disaster. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. Uh, we get a couple of scenes with Lieutenant Gorn at the garrison, and I think they're pretty cool. There's one scene where he, it, the, the, the function of the scenes at, the garrison is basically you're seeing how Lieutenant Gorn is creating his cover, right? Mm-hmm. In, in my, from my understanding, um, the most important one is these two underlings that say to him, hey, you know, you know, hey, uh, he, he, we we did our best to get everything ready, and he's like, hey, well, you got to paint that wall, and he's like, and they they explain to him, hey, FYI, permission to speak freely, no one wants to work here. <laughs> And one of the only reasons we work here is to see the eye, which is this kind of intense meteor shower-esque weather event that's going to happen in next episode. During the it's heist. Gonna, during the heist. It's going to serve as a distraction, right? And if we have anything, if you deprive people of seeing the eye, people are going to get really pissed and it'll be bad for you. And so Lieutenant Gorn is like, okay, fine. Everyone can see the eye. And the idea is that there, there was no suspicion on him that way that he like allocated people away from, you know, the Imperial payroll, right? Right. It, it, I mean, all the stuff with, with, 
with Lieutenant Gorn scenes at the garrison, like the the recurring thing is that uh, people there, despite this being the Empire, they don't take that job very seriously <laughs> and are mostly just, mostly just kind of yeah, like screwing yeah. around. Like you have like yeah. the first two guys, and 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 Gorn is like reprimanding them for having set up like just pieces of metal for target practice. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So they're just like goofing off shooting their blasters when they should be working there's there's these guys who are just like hey can we like yeah there's corporal kimsey who's like just chilling on the roof and he's like i see you're enjoying the view but you get the sense he's not supposed to be there enjoying the view he's supposed to be doing something else right yeah i i I will say that second scene uh you know where we're with enjoying the uh the view i i we mentioned this in the previous episode but i love the way that with like just like very little work and very little screen time and also minimal visual effects um the stuff on Aldani has really like made TIE fighters more ominous than yes. they've ever been before. Like yes. watching them c- come up over the hill. We talked about it in the last episode, but it happens again in this, but like you see it from a distance. And then we get uh, this great shot like f- of the uh, following a TIE fighter, like flying along over this lake, like toward the garrison. And then I love this shot. It's like a tracking shot behind Gorn, like walking along the top of the garrison as then just like in front of him, just like uh, the TIE fighter just flies by as in for him, that's just a, a yeah. normal thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah. just like, you know, obviously, you know, Ben Burt's original sound design for the TIE fighter, which I believe is made from like partially like baby elephant screaming, uh, is like one of the greatest, most iconic sounds in all of cinema, and 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 putting it in this this kind of environment where it's like it's so quiet and still, and it's just mountains around, and then you get this like kind of horrifying like roaring screech of that thing. It's like again, it's a thing we've seen a million times, and suddenly it feels like so much more powerful than it ever has. Yeah, and I think it's because. And I'm sure Star Wars has done this before, so I'm not saying this is the first time, but you're seeing it from the perspective of someone on the ground. Like yeah. when you're seeing it in space, a lot of TIE fighters are cannon fodder in in Star Wars movies, right? But you're seeing it as like you're a group of seven people on the ground. You see this massive ship fly overhead. It can easily clock you. It can take you out if it wants to. It's it's scary uh, the way they show TIE fighters in the show. And so uh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a thing that it, another scene that connects to is um when Cassian and the whole heist crew are they're basically like around a fire at night and um and i think you know and and someone someone there says to the rebellion yeah. and uh and and I think it's them, Bell that says it yeah yeah and here but here seeing this group of like like five people is it is it five it's, it's uh, seven i believe seven okay 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 seven of them um but uh, just like a small group of people, and uh, and and it being like, oh right, this is the rebellion. We're like we're used to from other Star Wars. Seeing oh, the rebellion is an army. They have like ranks. They have yeah. like the, they have a fleet of like of like fighter jets or you know or, or fighter spaceships or whatever. It's like and and seeing it here where it's like oh oh the rebellion is a, a bunch of people around a, around a campfire, and that's basically it. And uh, it it really like it changes our perspective on this whole thing, and so it's like, oh right, this is uh, they are up against something so much larger than them, and uh, they are so outnumbered uh, that this really is a very difficult 
this is a different situation than we're we're used to seeing in Star Wars. Yeah. And the episode does a lot to hammer that home. Um it tells you all these different stories of why these people want to be part of the rebellion. It it actually makes Star Wars better in my opinion, right? That's what I'm saying is like I've always thought of the rebellion like you thought of it. This army, massive monolith. Oh, of course everyone hates the empire. Like why would you want to go after it? But it's like Everyone has their own rebellion. Everyone has their own reason they're going up against the Empire. And we really get a big sense of it here. We have people like Steen, whose brother died. We have people like Andor, who's being paid. We have people like Nemec, who uh, just believes in the cause fully to his core. And all these other, all, all these other things. Uh, I, I love that, that whole diversity of views about the rebellion. There's also, of course, the title of the episode, which is based off of a proverb that is real on Earth. The Acts forgets but the tree remembers right that like basically the people doing the oppression the people doing the damage uh often don't even think about it whereas the people the people who the damage is being done to the tree uh they never forget and that is who becomes the rebellion right so uh i i love all that detail and nuance that that the show is giving us about the rebellion agreed completely so uh, one point about Gorn. So the seven people includes Gorn, FYI. Okay. Um, maybe he was only like five or six in that scene. But the uh, there's that dialogue he has with Kimsey on, on the roof. And one of the guys says, yeah, like, can you imagine if there are thousands of those Aldani people here? You could smell them from here, huh? And he's like, yeah, I guess you could. Then later we learn that Gorn fell in love with an Aldani woman and lost her. And that's kind of why... Uh, he turned against the empire, and so the, the, that mm-hmm. explains his. And I, I love in this show, in my opinion, this show kind of gives you enough to like put the pieces together of what what's happening. It doesn't explain. By the way, that woman was Gorn. Like that's not, that's why Gorn was pissed. That you know, like I love that it gives you just enough to kind of put the pieces together yourself, and it's very satisfying uh, storytelling wise. So, anyway, it's I I completely agree. I I. I feel dumb for not mentioning Gorn's uh, backstory earlier. Um, but, uh, uh, and it also makes me curious because I think they were saying that like, like in the past for the eye, there would be like, th- oh, th- they refer to the Adani people as just uh, Donnie. Yeah. Uh, and I think they were saying like, there there would used to be like thousands of them here, but yeah. th- there'll, there'll be like, what, like a few hundred? Hundreds now. Yeah. yeah. I think. And so I'm also very curious to see what, hundreds of Aldani people look like mm-hmm. uh, yeah. assuming that we'll, we'll see them out there. I've got to say there is like so much uh, that I'm excited about in, yes. in the next episode. Uh, so much that's, that's been built up. And can I talk about the last scene? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about it. So there's a couple things happen in the final scenes, right. Of this episode. One is the, there's a big question this whole time about, what is going on with Vel during the heist? And as of the end of this episode, that question remains unresolved. So we don't know. Um, but she does give Tamarin control of the crew. She's like, Tamarin's in charge now. And don't worry about me. You'll see me later. So and really curious. Cinta goes with her? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so it's, uh, so it's really just curious. the men remaining. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Vel is the wild card here. Who knows? Uh, but anyway, uh, Tamron takes over the crew, and so that's a that's a notable change. And then, are you, when the final scene you're talking about with Luthen, right? With Luthen, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we see Luthen back on Coruscant, and he's kind of 
listening to the radio, trying to pick up signals of what's going on with the heist, I think, right? And trying yeah. to understand. Yeah. It seems like he's hoping for an update. And yeah. again, it's the kind of thing that we're not used to seeing in Star Wars because it normally it's like, oh, right, it's, it's the rebellion. They're a whole army. They can like radio each other, whatever, yeah. pop up with like a hologram. And they're like, on, like on, on MCU, the Avengers, where they just touch their ear and they can just talk to everyone else, right? Well, like, I mean, that that's like every spy movie ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that's not how it always works. Yes. And, um, and here it's like, oh, he, uh, so he, set them up and uh, funded their little operation. And now he's just in a back room at his store hoping for like a radio update, but all he can do is sit there and, uh, and hope for the best. It's like, he is totally separated from it and so removed from it. And um, again, a a thing that we're not used to seeing normally, this is, this is a big, like super coordinated operation. Um, and then his, uh, his employee, whose name I will have in a second, uh, Clea, uh, Clea uh, Markey, uh, Luthen's employee that we saw in the previous episode, who I think in the last episode, it wasn't, it wasn't clear if she, uh, knew about his, him working with the rebellion. Uh, that she might just work. I, I at think the store. it was. I think it was at least somewhat clear that she was like covering for him. Okay, for something because she was. She knew to like distract the driver guy. Right. Um, right. So. So. But you're. You're right. Like she now. It's very clear that she knows everything he's up to. Oh, and and she is also like a part of this as well. Yeah. Uh, and because uh, you know, she's like you know, she tells him she doesn't like uh, like seeing him nervous, and um, it's also just kind of like like they're both very tense. Um, there because they are just they are on a different planet and they are just you know waiting for some kind of update also i know this is not a show about pointing out easter eggs on andor because there are a million places on the internet that will cover that for you but i do want to mention i on the shelf behind luthan uh we do see some holocrons Mm-hmm. Which are these these things that store like holographic messages uh, in Star Wars lore? Also, a few uh, Shankara stones from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Wow! Really? Yeah, just huh. a little uh, Lucasfilm Easter egg. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, if you look up, uh, kind of like on you the you think right... Indiana Jones takes place in the same universe as Star Wars? I guess Star Wars takes place in our universe, right? So. <laughs> yeah, just uh, a yeah. long time ago. And um, yeah, and yeah, the Shankara yeah. Stones uh, continued. And then in the 1930s, uh, this one village in India uh, found them and uh, and they were, you know, holy to them. Uh, but yeah, just uh, there, there's your little Easter egg update. Shankara Stones, they're, they're there. I like this idea of Luthen saying, I wanted it too much. Like we get the feeling that Luthen, by bringing Andor aboard, has put himself out there right like mm-hmm. he is he's put himself in danger because um vel was the only one that could connect back to him right none of the other people in the heist crew knew that luthan even existed uh but now and with andor he's helped to make the crew better and we see that this episode but it's also put luthan at risk uh and that's kind of what he remarks upon there's a yeah. lot of great lines in this episode i just want to point out there's like a lot, a lot of great dialogue in the episode i mean i apologize i'm paraphrasing here but luthan basically says something along the lines of like you know she says it'll all be over in tomorrow at this time or something and luthan says or it will just be beginning you know something along those lines like it's either going to be over or it's just going to it's going to be beginning um skeen at one point says that 
um, his brother was killed because an imperial prefect took his land and flooded it. And then his brother committed suicide. And he says, quote, I always hated the empire. I don't know what to call what I feel now. End quote. I love, I like that. It's like, I, I hated them before. Now it's like a fulminating rage that is persistent and ambient, you know, like whatever you could put words to it. Love that. Yeah. You know, um, it's too random to be random. Like this kind of, there's, there's just a bunch of like great bon mots, a lot of great, like, Oh wow, that's a great one, a memorable one-liner. I know. Show, hey, you know? hey, these these Gilroys, good at writing. <laughs> they know how to write a script. I know. You know, because hey, yeah. five episodes in, we we have yet to have an episode not written by a Gilroy brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but uh, I don't think for this episode, but John Gilroy, a third Gilroy brother, is also <laughs> one of the main editors on the show. Mm-hmm. Is there anything the Gilroys can't do, Patrick Willems? Anyway, I don't uh, know. Any other thoughts on this episode? I'm psyched for the next episode. It's going to be a really long wait. Um, I know. Uh, the next seven days. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough. Um, I hope. I hope this season gives us a Mon Mothma dinner party. Uh, I just, I, I yeah. just want, I, I want to see, I want to see more of the, 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 the Coruscant elites. Mm-hmm, I want to see them mm-hmm. in their finest wares. Yes. Uh, I, I will space say the champagne. Mon Mothma and Perrin's outfits were like really awesome this whole episode. Like, oh they yeah. Just, they looked super cool. So yeah. also, uh, Coruscant at night just looks awesome. The, uh, like, like you really see how shiny and expensive looking her car is when it's like cruising through, uh, the city. There are seven people in the heist crew. Okay, there's Vel, Skeen, Nemec, Tamarin, Sinta, Gorn, and Andor. Okay? Uh, we know Andor survives. Of the other six, how many people do you think are going to die next episode? Ooh, um, I think we're going to get... My guess is we're going to get at least one to two deaths, is my guess. Yeah, because I don't think everything's going to go smoothly with the heist. I'm just putting that out there. Like, I think something will go wrong with the heist. That's how all heist movies and shows go. But it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, Tony Gilroy has talked a lot about subverting audience expectations. Right. And at this point, the heist formula is so crystallized. Like we know, hey, they've spent two episodes planning the heist. Now they do the heist. Something will go wrong. They'll figure out a way to accommodate. They will triumph in the end, possibly with some costs. That is the formula for a heist show or a heist movie. I think Tony Gilroy knows that that is the formula and may try to subvert it somehow because that's what he has always talked about how he tries to like subvert what the formula is and what audience expectation is. So it wouldn't surprise me if something really wild went off uh, next episode. But assuming it does follow the formula, I think we're going to lose one or two people. Any guesses, you know, predictions on how many people will die next episode? How many people? Um, I feel like saying like three is an easy number. <laughs> um, yeah. I will say, if anyone dies, Nemec, right? It's I'm not feeling Nemec. good about Nemec. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the mostly young, because the, the, that's the idealist, one that, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, which one is going to hurt the most? Oh, which one is oh. going to motivate Andor the most to become who we know in Rogue One? Right. So. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I I don't want to make too many predictions because then 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 me going into watching it will just be like, well, I like I just want to make sure that I'm proven correct. Um, mm-hmm. But I uh, good impression he, of yourself. Thank you, thank you. That's that's how I th- <laughs> I think I come off. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, I, who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe it'll be a situation where the heist goes uh, perfectly, and um, I don't know. And then Vel betrays them and tries yeah, to steal all like the, the money for herself. And it turns out she's actually working with the Empire. That um, that would be a thing. That could be a thing that happens. Who knows? Maybe Darth Vader will show up and and swipe it all and bring it back to Mustafar so he can sleep on a big pile of money. I don't think that will happen. To be clear. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Decoding TV podcast covering Andor. Find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com and find us on Twitter, TikTok, YouTube at Decoding TV. Uh, every episode is available on YouTube as well. We hope uh, people will check us out there and I get a lot of awesome comments from there as well. And of course, you can always email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. He is Patrick Willems. I'm David Chen. We'll see you next week for another recap of Andor. Goodbye. And... Hashtag release the dinner party cut. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.